everyone agrees the universe came from nothing in an incredibly big bang, ending up in an amazing 10 trillion galaxies, all precisely positioned, moving in perfect synchronization without chaos, everything exactly in its place. If you're an atheist, you say that this was the biggest fluke of all time, infinitely and more amazingly unlikely than hitting 10 billion trillion kajillion holes in one, one after another. If you're a Christian, you say that the universe was created perfectly by the perfect God. You pick which you think is more likely. I'm Paul, and this is C-Y-K-I-A-E. When you're trying to bring someone hugely popular down, it'll take careful planning. You have to be in control, total control. So when the person you're trying to do this to takes complete control of your kangaroo court, what are you going to do? Jesus was no innocent victim of evil plotting Pharisees and the traitor Judas. He was the one calling the shots all the way through. His enemies started tripping over their own feet. They never regained their balance. So the people who wanted to see Jesus dead were being pushed headlong and unprepared by him into doing what he wanted them to do. And everything they did was going wrong. The arrangements made for the upper room where the Last Supper was held included the necessary food, drinks and other things that took place there over the next few hours, and they were made presumably by Jesus and not the disciples. Jesus dropped a bombshell during the feast, Matthew 26, 21-25, and as they did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him. But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. And then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said... So Jesus answers Judas by saying, you said it. Judas was sitting to the left of Jesus. In Jewish tradition, this is the honoured position. and John was sitting to his right. The meal continued with all of the disciples, including Judas, still there. So did Judas have a choice? Of course he did. Everyone has free will. The fact that the Bible tells us that Judas betrayed Jesus is just telling us what happened. You need to get perspective. God created the universe, so he's not part of it. He's not inside it. He stands outside time. So he can see the whole history of our universe from beginning to end. 
The Bible tells us what happened from God's perspective, knowing everything that happens because of people's choices. So what we do isn't predetermined. Peter's denial of Jesus on the night of Jesus' arrest and crucifixion is one where he fell out of favour with Jesus, but a few days later redeemed himself. He made the right choices. After Jesus drops the bombshell that one of his disciples is going to betray him, Jesus then initiated what is still practiced today as the Lord's Supper, communion, which Christians practice to remember the sacrifice of Jesus to take all of the sins of all believers onto himself and the promise of his return. In Matthew 26-29, it reads, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Part of the Passover ceremony is drinking from four cups of wine. Significantly, Jesus drank only from the first three. The last one is called the cup of redemption, which Jesus said he would only drink when everyone who believes in him is with him in heaven. Something still to happen. So Jesus will share a celebratory glass of wine when all believers are finally in heaven. Now in the modern corporate world, there's been a revolutionary way of approaching management that all of the with-it trainers teach. It's absolutely the last thing. It's called servant-master management. It tells how smart executives lead by example, by humbling themselves in front of their staff. Well, that was what the whole teachings of Christ were about. Jesus took the opportunity to hammer the point home. And that's a really tasteless word to use in the context of Jesus, isn't it? At the Last Supper. Obviously, the upper room where Jesus and the disciples were having the Last Supper had been specially prepared because what Jesus was about to do wasn't any part of the Passover tradition. As everyone knows, there are four books in the Bible that are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. John writes the most detail about the events of the last few hours of Jesus Christ's life, half of his book. By the way, just to help you understand meanings here, the word Christ is from a Greek word. It means Messiah, the one sent by God to save man from sin. So when the supper has ended, and Judas is still in the room, pretty damned uncomfortable, I reckon, Jesus does something remarkable, something that had previously been set up in the room. And it's important to understand, with what happens, that Jesus knew who was going to betray him, and so did Judas. But the other disciples didn't. In John thirteen four to 5 Jesus riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, 
and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. So Jesus strips down to his loincloth, the garment worn by a slave. It's kind of appropriate too because Judas had betrayed Jesus for the price of a slave, 30 pieces of silver. The act of washing the feet of his disciples is more remarkable because under Jewish law, a slave, a Jewish slave, couldn't be required to wash the feet of another Jew. So Jesus is really humbling himself to his disciples. It's especially interesting when you remember that Judas is still in the room. So Jesus knelt at the feet of Judas, his betrayer, and washed his feet too. To modern innovative business trainers, this is where the servant-master began. They don't know it. The boss should be the servant of all. This act of humbling himself in front of his disciples, including his betrayer, gives us so many messages, though. The washing of the feet represented the washing away of the sins of the disciples. It was also a humbling of Jesus, like he was about to go through on the cross. Peter, one of the most important of Jesus' disciples and one of his inner circle of three, is obviously hugely embarrassed when Jesus reaches him and he tries to get out of it. He doesn't want Jesus, his teacher, his Lord, to humble himself like this. So John thirteen six to 9 tells us, Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Jesus is talking about his coming crucifixion and resurrection. And Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Jesus makes it plain that he has to wash Peter's feet like he is going to have to spill his blood for everyone without exception. So Peter now has no choice. And Peter's always the exuberant, over-exuberant one in Jesus' group. And seeing that this has to be done now, he goes way over the top. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Washing the disciples clean didn't mean that all of the disciples' feet that he washed were clean. The great story of Christianity is that the only people saved by Jesus are those who accept him, and that didn't apply to Judas. So John says in John 13, 10-11, Jesus saith to him, Peter, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. Jesus there is referring to Judas. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. The disciples don't know that it's Judas who was going to betray Christ. Judas does, and boy must he be feeling the heat when this is happening. After Jesus washed the feet of the disciples to show them how a Christian leads, and it seems all modern savvy corporates, then Jesus put on his full garments and resumed his seat at the table. This is how John thirteen twelve to 18 takes up the story from there. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? 
you will call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither he that is sent, referencing Jesus, greater than he that sent him, God. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. If I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. And that's an expression showing that Judas has turned his back on Jesus. You can see his heels as he walks away is what that implies. I'm guessing that most people think that the crucifixion tells the story of Jesus as the helpless victim, that he was taken away by force and executed an innocent man against his will. But you'd be completely wrong. Jesus gave his life. No one took it. Nothing that happened in the process from the Last Supper until the resurrection happened without God calling all of the shots, leaving the people who participated in Jesus' execution with no option but to do what they did. The Pharisees had been wanting Jesus dead from early on when he started teaching. And this is them getting their wish, but like they say, be careful what you wish for. Now you need to follow closely what was about to happen, and I'll run through it once. I've already read this passage from John thirteen nineteen to 38. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth, whomsoever I send, receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me, God. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Hang on, this isn't what the Pharisees wanted. This isn't how it's supposed to be happening. Judas is supposed to pick a quiet time and definitely not during the Passover. But now he's outed and he has to act and act immediately. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, and that is always how John refers to himself. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He, then lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop, when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. So Judas could have been under no illusion that Jesus did not know that it was him that was going to betray him. And after the sop, Satan entered into him, Judas. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, Judas was in charge of financial running of Jesus' crew, 
that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. So Jesus started the process of his crucifixion precisely in the way that the Pharisees didn't want to happen. Remember their plotting on the day of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Mark 14, 1-2, which reads, After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And I've talked about that in an earlier program. The golden rule for the Pharisees was to wait for the feast of the Passover to finish. The huge crowds, up to three million people in Jerusalem, including a lot of people who believed that Jesus was at the very least a prophet, were there. There was enormous resentment among the people about John the Baptist, another prophet, being killed. So who who knew what might happen if the Pharisees tried to have Jesus legally put to death while the city was in a state of high excitement. Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, was in Jerusalem too for the Passover festival. He normally lived in nearby Caesarea. Herod was also in Jerusalem, and again he normally lived in another city. The last thing Pilate wanted was trouble. Trouble for Pilate meant big trouble for the Pharisees, and bigger trouble for Pilate with Caesar back in Rome. Judas knew he wasn't supposed to start the ball rolling against Jesus until after the Passover. But now Jesus had said to him, I know what you're up to, so do it now. That thou doest, do quickly. It's Judas's moment of truth. He has to bolt out of the upper room to tell the Pharisees that they had to act like immediately. Because Judas was the disciple who handled their money, the other disciples assumed Jesus had sent him out to get something. So it's the middle of the night when Judas goes to Caiaphas's palace. Everyone had probably relaxed for the night by then, maybe sleeping, at least in the middle of their own feast of the Passover. But now they're going to have to quickly get the temple guards together to go to where Jesus is to arrest him. And this is not what they wanted or planned. They're not ready. Jesus finished telling his disciples what they needed to know before he was taken, murdered and resurrected in John 13, 31-38. Therefore, when Judas was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Jesus' execution and resurrection complete God's promise to deliver grace to mankind. Grace is undeserved forgiveness of sins, for those who accept Jesus as the Messiah. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, a term Jesus uses a couple of times when speaking to his disciples, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, and for any anti-Semites out there, John always referred to the priestly leadership of the Jews as the Jews. It's not a reference to the Jewish people in general. Whither I go, you cannot come. Jesus was telling them that he was going to be taken and murdered. But the disciples didn't get that until a little later after his resurrection. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, 
that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And Peter is the most persistent disciple for not getting what Jesus is telling them. And Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou cannot follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. And Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Peter's standing as a disciple was going to be in doubt soon, and it would only be cleared up after Christ's resurrection. The arrest and the six trials of Jesus in one night will now be the focus of our attention. And what happens is staggering. Nothing like what is written in the Bible has ever been written before. The Jewish leadership showed that leadership was the only thing they didn't have, So join me, Paul, for my next CYKIAE, The Trials.